Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We are so excited to have you with us. We hope this message will encourage and inspire you to walk out your God-given vision. Now here's today's message. Oh man, who's excited to be at church this morning? Come on. I'm especially excited because I'm a huge sports guy and yesterday there was a pretty exciting victory that took place. Oh, you whipped the tar out of UCLA. Come on. Any OU fans in here? OU fans? Yeah? Okay. I see you guys. I see you. Okay. I mean, <laughs> hey, I endure so much persecution at work because in the midst of all of the heartbroken Razorback fans, I'm the only guy that's happy all the time, and it's because OU doesn't know how to lose. So just going to throw that out there. All right. I'm off to a good start. <laughs> well, on that note, let's pray. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, just for what you're doing in this place, God, in our lives, in our hearts, and in our spirits, Father, I thank you, Lord, that the word that goes forth this morning, Lord, that it doesn't, um, it's not coming out based on opinion, but Father, that it is straight from heaven, God, that we only speak your word, because Lord, that's what holds ultimate precedent in our lives. God, we value your word, and we're hungry for your word, so Father, I just thank you, Lord, for speaking through me. God, bless the hearer and bless the speaker this morning. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, hey, I'm going to start off with a couple funny stories. You guys like funny stories? It's okay. You can talk to me this morning. You don't have to be like, oh, we're in church. Well, anyway, so for those of you who are homeowners, anyone in here a homeowner? Homeowners? Yeah. I'm a future homeowner, so just saying that. Um, Here's an idea for you. A lady had an idea to make it incapable of people being able to break into her house. And so she had six locks installed on her front door with three locked and three unlocked. So no matter how many times they try, they will always be locking three of the locks. So that's a little food for thought for you right there. Moving on. A lawyer sat next to an older gentleman on a plane. The lawyer was feeling smart and witty. And so he challenged the older gentleman. He said, if I ask you a question and you can't answer it correctly, you have to pay me $5. But if, I ask, but if you ask me a question and I can't answer it correctly, I have to pay you $500. Well, that's all that the older gentleman needed to become interested. And so the lawyer asked, what is the distance from the moon to the sun? The older gentleman reaches into his pocket and gives the lawyer $5. The older gentleman asked the lawyer, what goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? The lawyer Googles and searches and he talks to all of his colleagues to no avail. He pays the older gentleman $500. The older gentleman puts the $500 in his pocket and goes to sleep. Frustrated, the lawyer woke up the older gentleman and asked, well, what does go up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? The older gentleman reaches into his pocket, gives the lawyer $5 and goes back to sleep. (laughs) Man, that's that's a smart, smart guy. That's a smart guy. Well, hey, this morning, I just, in preparation for this morning, I've just been like really seeking the heart of the Lord. And um, really, whenever I asked him, God, what do you want me to talk about? The thing that he dropped in my spirit was, I want you to speak on intimacy over relevancy. So if you're taking notes or if you want a title or something, it's intimacy over relevancy. You see, we live in a day and a culture today where I see in churches, we're fighting so hard to try and be relevant, to try and really appeal to the younger audience, to really have all the lights and all the, all the, all the fog and the cool uh, praise and worship team and everybody who's dressing really just in with the times and everything. 
but at what cost? Because you can go to an amazing church that has all the pieces that look like when you think of a church, you may go into a certain church building and be like, wow, they've got all the pieces, you know, that they need to have a church building or to have a a good service or something. But God's not about the service if they're not encountering him. Because I think we need, to, we need to be reminded that the whole purpose of the church from its very conception to today has been to know the heart of the Father and to carry out our God-given purpose. And so that's kind of what I want to get into today. But before I get into that, I know Dad's kind of been dealing with this for the last couple weeks or so, and the Lord actually put it on my heart, not with him in mind, but with also everyone else in mind, um, is that I feel like before we get started, we need to take authority and pray over allergies. Um, you see, allergies are not from God. (laughs) They are not from the Lord and we don't need to take them as they are normal because they are not. Flu season is not normal. Anything that alters the original intent that God created us for is not normal. So right now, can you just take the hand of your partner? Just, just take the hand of the person beside you. Uh, and we're just, we're going to take authority over this right now because I believe that God wants us set free from this. It doesn't matter if you don't like pollen. God created pollen and he created you to live amongst pollen. So come on. All right, well, we're going we're gonna to pray and take authority over this. Father, in the name of Jesus, we take authority over allergies in Jesus' name. We speak right now. Nasal passages, you are clear. You are open in Jesus' name. Headaches, you are gone. Eyes that are swollen, we command you for the swelling to go down in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you, Lord, for clear breathing, God. And I thank you, Lord, that as it was before the fall of man, God, that's what you have redeemed us to. And we take our rightful covenant as believers And we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to function under the umbrella of allergies any longer in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, say amen. Amen. Come on, we're breaking stuff. Well, there's one point that I really want to get established in our hearts early this morning, and that's this. Jesus is amazing. Isn't he amazing? Jesus is amazing. He loves you and he has forgiven you. But how many Christians just stop there? You see, they don't pursue his heart. They stop at what God has done for me, and they're not taking the fact that Jesus loves me and has forgiven me as an empowerment to live further to pursue his heart. And you see, yeah, church is great. We love coming together for church. I love getting to worship with people, that corporate anointing. It's so powerful and it's so amazing. But we need to remember that Jesus is amazing, not just because of what he's done for me. He's amazing because what he did first empowers me for what I can do next. And so that's where this, all th- this whole thing is stemming from. You see, God sent Jesus so that once Jesus went back to the Father, we could be known as lovers of God. I don't know about you, but the term Christian has kind of gotten a a little bit of a mixed emotion amongst people. Like it used to be, I mean, back in the early days of the church, you were a Christian boy. People were seeing healings, manifestations of the Holy Spirit, amazing signs, wonders, and miracles. But today, someone walks in, you go into a restaurant, and I guarantee you, I, I know friends who are waiters and waitresses, and they have told me that the worst crowds to wait on are Sunday afternoons. And that is the majority of that are Christians. What is happening? We can't allow ourselves to misrepresent the Christ that literally gave himself. Because if we're treating people like that, then, Christ, then that would be a really cruel thing for God to send his son to die for people if he knew his people wouldn't need to change their ways. And God is wanting us and he's asking for us to literally not just live with heaven in mind, but to allow heaven to come and completely 
completely immerse us. And so just to share a little bit of my testimony. So I'm a PK, growing up a pastor's kid, been in the ministry my entire life. I don't really know anything outside of ministry. Well, I could say ministry, really outside of a church building. I grew up in a church building. I knew the church better than I knew my own room. Um, and that was kind of sad because I had a lot of cool stuff in my room that now I look back at, I'm like, I had that? Wow, that's amazing. But uh, so grew up in that um, was the typical pastor's kid thing. Grew up living under my parents' faith, under their, their umbrella, seeing God move by their hands. And so I basically thought that since it was moving through them, then it's just kind of a default that it flows through me because I came from them and they're in ministry. So, hey. Um, but growing up, some of the worst people that I, have, that I had ever met that had such a negative impact on my life were pastor's kids. Um, because, I mean, like we see this in the Old Testament, with Eli and his two sons, you know, the ones that were literally over the temple and literally cultivating what God had placed in their hands. And it says that the sons of Eli were some of the wicked, the most wicked. And so I, I saw that play out. We, we would have missionary families come and stay with us and, and their son would just be sitting there talking to me about all the girls that he laid out with or, or all these other things that he had been doing. And I'm like, bro, you're, you're like the son of a missionary to Ecuador. What in the world is, and, and that began to rub off on me because I'm like, okay, well, if this is what like pastor's kids are like, if they don't really take this Jesus thing for real. And so I wasn't taking it for real. And what I ended up falling into was I ended up living a life of hypocrisy. I had friends, I was homeschooled growing up. Becca and I, I was homeschooled since the fourth grade all the way through high school. So some people are like, wow, I never would have guessed that. Aren't homeschooled people like super socially awkward? No, this is testimony that you are not socially awkward if you are in homeschool, okay? So plus with the direction that the public schools are going today, we may see more homeschool kids in the future. I don't know, come on. Let's represent. Anyways, um, and so being a homeschool kid, I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. The only friends I did have were in our neighborhood, and um, their parents were divorced, and so their mom, their mom's house was in our neighborhood, and their dad lived across town. So every other weekend, I got to see my only friends that I had because they were, you know, alternating between their parents. Um, and so they knew that my parents were pastors and everything, and I loved hanging out with them in, in the summertime. We were able to, like, it was literally every other weekend we were having a sleepover. You know, that was the huge thing is, like, we're going to have a sleepover. We're going to awesome. We're going to dress up in camo, go out in the woods and shoot airsoft at each other. And uh, so that was, like, that was our, our goal in life. But mom was always like, hey, if they're going to come and spend the night, because the only night they could spend the night was on Saturday nights. For some reason, Friday nights never worked. But it was Saturday nights where we could have a sleepover. And so mom was always like, well, hey, if they're going to come and stay the night with you, they're going to go to church with us the next morning. So I was like, okay. So I'm telling my friends, I'm like, hey, guys, like, yeah, we're going to hang out. You're going to stay the night. But hey, if you're going to stay the night, you're going to go to church with us the next morning. And they're like, sure, yeah, whatever, okay. And so that's what we were doing for a couple of years, you know, was just living that, you know, cycle and whatnot. But I began to allow myself to be influenced instead of being an influencer. And I thought I was being an influencer, but not in everyone's life. I was influencing my friends, but I was allowing myself to be influenced by all these negative pastors' kids that I was hanging around or were coming in town or I was meeting. And then some of that was also my part. I can't, I can't blame that and be like, well, it's the pastors' kids didn't know any better, so what was I supposed to do? No, I had Christ on the inside of me. I have free will. God gave us all free will. It says that in Deuteronomy 28. And so, anyways, so it literally got to the point I had a dirty mouth. I'm telling you, any kind of word that your mom would raise her eyebrows at or throw something at you with, I was using that word 
10 times over right in front of my friends. And so we'd be hanging out and I'd be like, yo, bro, you know, just totally going at it. And then it'll be like, all right, you guys ready for church? We'd go to church. I'd play drums on the worship team. And, you know, we'd finish up. Dad preached a message. I'd be like, okay, awesome. We'd go home, have lunch. I'd go back out with my friends and do it all over again. And my friends literally saw me living this life of hypocrisy right in front of them. And then I'll never forget, we started traveling full-time in missions. And it was at that moment where I realized I've got to get my life right. Because I cannot, if you are not free, you cannot help someone else get free. Because you don't know what freedom's like. And true freedom is found in Jesus. So we were traveling, and literally this ministry we were doing is like a 20,000 square foot tent. People go through the production. They see the gospel laid out before them. But before they see the gospel, they see a whole bunch of scenarios take place. They walk through a crack house where they see the end results of drugs and alcohol abuse and abusive relationships. There's a drunk boyfriend and a pregnant girlfriend, and he's just upset at her, and that plays out. And then you walk into the next room, and it's a girl's bedroom. It's for suicide, and she's dealing with depression and everything. And, and so people are going through, and they're seeing all this. And then they're walking into a room that was depicting hell. It wasn't to try and scare them, but it was to try and show them, like, hey, hell is a real place. And then after that, they walked in and they saw Jesus on the whipping post. How many people have seen the Passion of the Christ? Oh, my goodness. If you have not seen the Passion of the Christ, do yourself a favor and watch that movie. Some people are like, no, it's, it's, that's, too that's too hard. I can't watch that. If you don't understand the price that has been paid for you, you'll never truly understand your value. Let me say that again. If you don't understand the price that was paid for you, you will never truly understand your value. I have to know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. So many people are like, well, I'll never know because it says, you know, in Isaiah that he was scarred beyond human, human resemblance. And of course, it's, it's terrible for us to even try and picture that. We can't, but we need to know as best we can how much it costs God to set us free because that's the life that we had laying, laying in front of us. So anyways, they would see the whipping scene from the Passion of the Christ and then they'd see the scene where Jesus was up on the cross. And then after that, they'd walk into a room and sit one-on-one -on -one with a believer. And so I'm sitting there at these tables and I'm living in hypocrisy and these guys are sitting down in front of me and they're just like, man, God, I just, I just need Jesus, bro. And I'm kind of sitting there like, yeah, me too. Like, I, <laughs> I need Jesus too. I'm not qualified for this. And then I'll never forget it. One day in Sacramento, California, I was getting ready for my day. And it's crazy how God will meet you in the most unlikeliest of places. And so I had just taken a shower. I was just brushing my teeth. I was getting ready. And I just decided to put on some worship music. I was like, whatever, I'll just put it on. And I wasn't really listening to worship music at that time. I really allowed myself just to slip into this place of just total secularism and just feeding myself on, on the world. So I just put on some worship music and I'm brushing my teeth. All of a sudden, the presence of God flooded that bathroom. It's funny. <laughs> I think it's funny whenever I say it. And so he just flooded that bathroom, and I wasn't able to stand. I fell down on my hands and knees. And I literally remember God saying, it's all or nothing right now. And I came to that moment, and I remember just telling the Lord, I was like, yeah, yeah, what? Yes, I will give you everything. I can't do this hypocrisy, this hypocrisy thing anymore. I choose to live fully surrendered, fully committed, fully devoted to you. And then it was just like that where I had a heart transplant. And that's what God wants to do in each and every one of us. He wants to give you a heart transplant. And that's my prayer is that this morning, we would literally take what we think is normal, what we think is acceptable, what we think is proper, and we would put it in God's hands and say, God, mold this and shape this. What is proper? What is acceptable? What is of you and what is not? Because it is possible for us to define what is good, but not what is God. That comes through revelation of the Holy Spirit.
So anyways, so I saw this in, the, in Acts chapter 9. If you have a Bible, anybody got a Bible? Woo! If you don't have a Bible, that's totally, I mean, that's totally cool. Probably should get one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, totally get a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, get a Bible. Download the app on your phone or whatnot. It'll change your life because this is a book that reads you. You don't read it. It reads you and totally transforms you. Well, in Acts chapter 9, snap, I should probably get over there too. In the Passion Translation, whoop, dad has like got me hooked on the Passion Translation. I started reading it and I was like, holy smokes, this is so good. But anyways, this is a guy by the name of Paul, formerly known as Saul in the New Testament. And so I'll just give a little bit of context to the character of Paul, aka Saul who is not actually a character, he's a real person. But uh, so he was, he had a reputation. So Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he looked at the disciples and said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Make disciples. And so Jesus then, he, descend, he, he ascends into heaven and the disciples have a mandate now. Well, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the ones that killed Jesus, were literally still so upset about the whole thing of him being risen from the dead. There's a lie still running around Jewish culture today that the Pharisees spread all those years ago, and some of the Jews still believe it. But the case is Jesus died, he was buried three days, he rose again, and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Just want to clear that up. So anyways... Saul was so mad and angry at the Christians because he believed that what he knew was right. And what he believed was that all this, this thing called Christianity, it's a virus and it's totally going to uh, move people away from the proper doctrine that is the old, uh, the old covenant and everything. And so he literally set out in his mind that we need to eradicate and get rid of these disciples and get rid of this, this message claiming that Jesus died and rose again. That's what it's all about. He wanted to get rid of that. So he developed a reputation amongst Christians and amongst believers. Um, and so anyways, he got clearance, or he got clearance, clearance, clearance from the Pharisees and the Sadducees to go to Damascus because he was literally a bounty hunter looking for Christians and he had the authority to take them, to imprison them, to take them back to Jerusalem, which is not the best place to be at that day and time. And so anyways, so they give him clearance um, to go to um, Damascus. And so I'm just going to read verses 1 through 7 um, and just follow along as best you can. During those days, Saul, full of angry threats and rage, wanted to murder the disciples of the Lord Jesus. So he went to ask the high priests and requested a letter of authorization so he could take, or he could take to the Jewish leaders in Damascus, requesting their cooperation in finding and arresting any who were followers of the way. Saul wanted to capture all of the believers he found, both men and women, and drag them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. Verse 3, so he obtained the authorization and left for Damascus. Just outside the city, a brilliant light flashing from heaven suddenly exploded all around him. Verse 4, falling to the ground, he heard a booming voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The men accompanying Saul were stunned and speechless, for they heard a heavenly voice but could not see anyone. Saul replied, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the victorious. Come on now. He's the victorious, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city where you will be told what you are to do. Saul stood at his feet, and even though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. He was blind, so the men had to take him by the hand and led him into Damascus. And so what I see here, so Paul, he's blind, 
he goes to Damascus. In Damascus, God speaks to the heart of a disciple by the name of Ananias. And so he tells Ananias, so hey, yo, like basically this guy whose name is Saul, he's in Damascus right now. He's blind. He can't see. I need you to go and touch him. I need you to go and basically lay your hands on him, and I'm going to move through you because I have amazing plans for Saul. Ananias is kind of tripping out because he's like, do you realize like this is the one guy whose sole plan is to completely destroy all of us? And so God was like, just go and be obedient. Just do it. That's what we need to do sometimes. We don't need to pray. We don't need to seek God. We just need to be obedient. Because sometimes if you're not seeing something moving in your life, you need to go back to the last thing it was that God told you to do and make sure that you did it. Because sometimes if God's not speaking, he's like, because I've already told you what to do. So he's just wanting to see obedience. So anyways, Ananias goes and he ministers to Paul. He goes, opens the door. Paul's there. Well, Saul, sorry, don't want to get ahead of myself. Saul's there, and Ananias goes to him, and he's basically like, I have been sent in the name of the Lord God Almighty, and he has an amazing plan and purpose for your life. Just speaking life into Saul. And then he lays his hands on Saul, prays for him, and then it said, like, scales fell from his eyes. You know, I love that. And it's like, he was blind, now he can see. I was blind, but now I can see. I don't know how to explain it all, but just to sum it up, I was blind, but now I see. And so that happened for Paul. And what I love is that Paul immediately fell in love with the truth of the gospel, and he ran towards Jesus with everything that was in him. Just a couple of the lies of Christianity that I want to expose this morning is there is no such thing as beginner's luck in Christianity. There's no such thing as, well, you're on fire. You're just, you've, only been, you've only been saved three months. Well, give it, a, give it about three years and then see where you're at. No such thing. That is such a lie of the enemy. Another lie that we have is there is no such thing as sideline Christianity. Well, hey, go get them, guys. Go get them. I'm cheering you on. All right. All right, cool. Awesome. They're doing their thing. And hey, someone's going to get them saved. Why do I need to talk to them? There's a bunch of Christians out there. You know, like they'll, they'll, they'll get them. Don't buy into that lie. Because whether you're a Christian, there's no different tiers of Christian. There's no, all right, well, I'm a Christian, you know, version five. I've been saved 27 years, and I've led this many people to the Lord. And it's only because I have this many years of experience in the Christian faith. Whether you've been saved 20 years, 20 minutes, or 20 seconds, you can lead someone to Christ, and you have just as much importance in the kingdom. And so anyways... And something to back that up with that, you know, no such thing as sideline Christianity. What I covered a couple weeks ago, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. You can turn there if you want, but I'm just going to read it. And it said, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry for building up the body of Christ. All right, so what do we have here? This is what's known as the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, or pastors, and teachers. Their job is not to carry the load to literally bring people into the kingdom. You can't say, well, hey, he's, he's called to save people. He's an evangelist. No, he's called to equip the saints, which is us, for the works of ministry. And it goes back to your identity. I can't be a saint and a sinner. If I were to ask, are there any sinners in this room? I don't want to see a single hand raised. Because if you prayed that prayer and you accepted Jesus into your heart, you have become right with God. You are a son and a daughter, and you cannot be a son and a sinner. You know, that's, that's, like, that's like me saying, well, you know, you're dry, but you're standing in a pool. You can't, you can't define it like that. 
You can only hold one title, and God has given you your title. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are my beloved. You are the one that I am pursuing your heart every day. And he wants us to turn around and just pursue him right back. So anyway, the big lie that we hear a lot of people say, too, is nowhere, or, you know, well, hey, brother, this, is a, this life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. I mean, how many of you guys have ever heard that? You guys ever heard that term? Well, brother, it's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Well, let me tell you something. Paul actually said in the later chapters, he said, hey, I am running this race to obtain the prize. He said, I don't care how fast other people are going or how fast they feel like I need to be going. He said, I'm running forward with everything I have because I believe the reality of the gospel. And there are people's lives that are literally hanging on me being obedient and stepping into that revelation and identity. There are people that are literally today, they are waiting for you to step out. They are waiting for us to impact and literally bring heaven into this realm. We can say all day, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. But are we only saying it on Sundays and Wednesdays or are we saying it when we go into my job? Lord, in my job as it is in heaven. Father, in that dentist office as it is in heaven. Father, in my unsaved family member's house as it is in heaven. God can do it, guys. He can do it. And so anyways, man, I got to find out where I was now. Ugh. So anyways, yeah, that's what it is. So in, in verse 20 of Acts chapter 9, it says literally that after Paul had his eyes open, he went out that day and preached the gospel. He went out that day. Some people think, oh, well, you know, he was saved. So, you know, he had to go spend time and like watch a couple sermons, like read a couple of chapters, like kind of understand where he's coming from and everything. No, like he legit... He got the word and he's like, all right, let's go. Let's go. Let's go do what needs to be done. And we need to be like that. You see, intimacy means closeness. And that's what Paul was striving after. Paul wasn't striving after, I'm going to get as many people saved as I can. Now, some people may think, whoa, hey, this is Christianity. Isn't that like our sole, our sole mission? Our sole mission is to draw closer to the heart of the Father so that our heart would literally become his heart and we're passionate for the things he's passionate for and he's passionate about people. I can't save people in my own strength. I have to lean on Holy Spirit. I have to lean on the revelation from heaven. and Be like, Father, I ask that you would literally cut me deep and I've been praying this prayer a lot recently and let me tell you, we need to count the cost of the prayers we're praying because boy, it's been hurting. Like, I'm like, Father, cut me deep. Remove anything that is unclean, impure, and not of you. And you know what? He's been doing it. If you pray, if you pray, and I dare you to pray and ask God to convict you of certain foods you're eating. Like, for real? I work every time on break time. I used to go and get peanut M&Ms, but then I started praying and asking the Lord, like, God, convict me. I don't want to, I don't want to eat candy anymore. And now, like, I go up there and I'm about to like buy some peanut M&Ms and like I get this sick feeling in my stomach because like Holy Spirit's like, you asked me and here we go. So now I started getting a trail mix. Yay, it's happy. It's awesome. <laughs> but anyways, what does intimacy or closeness look like? In the Bible, I challenge you to get in the word, read in John and you'll see the works that Jesus does. Every time Jesus was not doing signs, wonders, or miracles, or ministering to people, where was he? He was spending time in the presence of his Father. Our sole purpose in life is to become more like our Father. Whenever I was born, and I saw my dad growing up, 
I saw how, I see how successful he's being, not so much now in the physical or in the natural as much as in the spiritual because I see that and I was like, I want to be like that. But that's the drive that God's put on us inside of every single one of us is that we would know God and we would aspire to be like him. Now, there's a, there's a healthy measure to that. Not like, well, I want to be like God because I want to, you know, like cast fire down on whoever I don't like. Like that's, uh, you know, that's impossible. You can't do that. Um, but he wants us to be like him, to walk with compassion, to be led forth with peace, to whenever we walk into a place, we're not like, ooh, I don't like this atmosphere. We walk in and we're like, all right, Holy Spirit, let's change this place. Like, let's transform this culture. That's what we're doing here at Vision Church. We are not, don't for one second think that Vision Church is just another uh, bunker for lack of a better term, to where all of us Christians can run and we can huddle and we can hide from culture outside of our doors. The purpose for this is we've been saying this since day one. Two things. Jesus is the center of everything that we do and we wanna help people find out what is their vision for life. What is God's vision for their life? So don't for one second think that you can come in here and treat this as like a safe haven to be like, Oh, but the world is so dark, but I'm in the church. Yay. Like, here we go. I heard Chris Valton say it. Valton, Valton, I don't, I still don't know how to say his last name, but whatever. He said, he was talking, he was preaching in a, ser- in a service one day and he said, how many of you guys know that the world is getting darker and darker? And people were like, yeah, yeah, amen. And then he's like, how many of you guys know that the church is getting brighter and brighter? And, he, and people were like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, you said amen at the wrong part. The church is getting brighter, but the world is getting darker. Jesus came in and he said, I am the light of the world. The church is not supposed to be separate from the world. Meaning like we're going to build up the church and just let the world go to hell because we're, 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 we're pursuing heaven. No, what the purpose of the church is, is we are supposed to literally, once again, going back to the fivefold ministry, us as saints, we're to be built up to take Jesus into our cultures, into the world. You know, Jesus died for the world, not to condemn the world, but to save it. How can we save it if we're so focused on trying to save just so that we can have huge numbers on a Sunday morning? Are people praying a prayer? And dad's been talking about this. Are people praying a prayer? Or are they actually experiencing life change? Are things being surrendered? Because I want to challenge you this morning that if you have not had to sacrifice or give up something in the name of Jesus or for your Christian walk, then I would challenge you to kind of reevaluate things. Just like David said in his prayers, I will not give God something that doesn't cost me something. Because if it costs something, that means it holds value. We started, um, while we were traveling, we had two dogs with us. Um, I didn't plan on talking about this, but I just kind of feel like Holy Spirit's taking me here. But we had two dogs. Uh, If you know our family, we're a huge dog family. We absolutely love dogs, hate cats. They're going to hell. So um, come at me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I have mercy. I have mercy. love cats. I'll give them like 30 seconds to not hurt me. Anyways, uh, (laughs) so we're a dog family. Hope I didn't lose any of there. We are a dog family. We love dogs. And so when we were traveling full time, we had Becca's dog. His name was Shadow. He was a a silver gray schnauzer. Uh, He was so loud. He was always letting us know of the fake ninjas that were attacking the house. Um, 
And then we had Max, who was my dog, and he was a wire fox terrier, beautiful, beautiful dog. Um, and we had them for a couple of years. Well, we had them, and then God called us out on the road to start traveling. And so mom and dad, like God just supernaturally blessed us with an RV. And so we're like, cool. And so we traveled with the dogs for about three years. As we were traveling more, we were just doing stuff in the States. We were just doing stuff, you know, Texas, California, New York, Minnesota, Kentucky, just moving all around Florida. Yeah. Um, And we were doing all that with our dogs. And then we realized that God was kind of shifting the focus of the ministry we were in. And it was going to start going a little more overseas. We were looking at the Dominican Republic and we were going to, it was looking like we were going to end up being there for about uh, two and a half months. And so we were looking at the dogs because we were like, oh man, like how are we going to figure this out? We could put them in a, in a boarding facility or, you know, like a dog hotel or whatever. Or we could try and find a friend who could you know, hold on to them and take care of them for that time. Um, and then one day we had the realization, um, that Lord, we, anything that we receive in life, we receive as potential seed. Um, and so we came to that realization of looking at our dogs no longer as ours, but as his. And it was seed that was put in our hands. And so we looked, we found a lady who just absolutely was in love with Max, who was my dog. He was younger. He was a couple years younger. Um, and so we thought, well, hey, because it was the initial meeting we were going to take Max over to meet her and, and see what she thought of him. And so we thought to take Rebecca's dog, Shadow, as well. Um, he was a little tougher to get rid of because he was a little older. And so some people are a little more skeptical with older dogs. But we showed up. And as soon as she saw both of them, she said, I want them. And that was a really hard day. It's going to be hard. I mean, it says in the Bible that, you know, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. I would count that as some type of a trial because for us to have held on to those dogs after God had told us, then we would have been living in sin. We would have been living in disobedience. So we sowed the dogs, a lot of tears, and we traveled. We went to the Dominican Republic two and a half months. We had an amazing time. We saw over 34,000 people come to Christ, get plugged in with local churches, just amazing, amazing things. And then we came back and then God called us to move here. And so we're like, okay. So we moved here to Northwest Arkansas. Woo, Arkansas, so cool. I'm about two years old in Arkansas, almost. Yeah, next month, that's crazy. So we still didn't have dogs and uh, we were living in a, in, a, in, a, in a house that's a rental. And so we were asking, um, we finally asked after we had been living in the house for about a year, um, we asked the landlord, hey, would it be possible or acceptable if we could consider getting a dog? And God gave us favor and he said, yes. And can I tell you that today we have two beautiful dogs at home. One of them is Oliver Bean, who's a wire fox terrier. The other one is Becca's Harvest. And he is Fredrickson, who is a 40 pound golden doodle who's like so, yeah, cool, and he's awesome. But why am I telling you this? No matter, we forgot of how much it hurt to be obedient in that moment because we realized that it was worth it. We realized that it was worth it. And you see, it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus saw the end from the beginning. He knew, he knew why he was here. But I want to challenge us that we can't fully be one with God. We can't fully understand what he's calling us and telling us to do if we don't 
have intimacy. You can't have an intimate conversation with someone that you don't know. And God's not gonna share more of his heart if he doesn't truly know you. It is possible for God to know you and not know you. Because what did he say to the people on judgment day whenever they said, but Lord, we knew, but Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We healed people. God said, depart from me for I never knew you. It is possible to not be known by God, but it is possible to be known and to be a friend and to be a son and to be a daughter. And that all comes from being in intimacy with him. And I just wanna kind of begin to wrap things up and just say that intimacy starts with one, one simple thing and that's yes. Yes, God. Just telling him yes. And we've talked about this in the past, you know, instead of getting in the word and being like, you know, reading through the Viticus, <laughs> reading in Leviticus and being like, what? Like, that don't make no sense, you know? But instead of reading it and being like, hmm, yes. First Thessalonians. It is right and just for God to trouble your troubles and give rest to the trouble, both to you and to us at the unveiling of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his messengers in power within a flame of fire. Yes. <laughs> Do I fully understand it? No, but I believe it. Because you can't believe certain parts of this word and think that you can actually have true intimacy with the Lord. To have true intimacy is to truly accept and believe everything about that person. I've never been married, I've never been, uh, I've never made it there, but I know whenever I look at my mom and my dad, my dad knows my mom and my mom knows my dad, that they would not just get into a relationship because, and, and that's the thing is we have so many people getting in relationships nowadays and they're being led by the wrong motives. They don't want intimacy, they want pleasure. And God does not want us to run to him so that we can find temporal pleasure in gifts. Never seek God like, God, I want prosperity, so I'm gonna seek you. Lord, I need healing, I'm gonna seek you. Like, Lord, I want, I want words of knowledge, so I'm gonna seek you, because I, 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 I need that. Or Lord, I, I, wanna, I wanna prophesy. God's like, you wanna prophesy? You wanna know how you prophesy? Is when you know my heart, It's when you know me. Because then I know that you're not gonna be speaking from you, but you're gonna be speaking from me through you. <laughs> And that's the thing is we can't cut that out. So I'm just gonna wrap this up. Um, Jesus is as close as the mention of his name. All you say is the name of Jesus and that's all you need. That's a great place to start. You don't have to try and use old 20th century English or 18th century English to try and impress God. He can't be impressed by that. What he is impressed by is he's impressed by people's hearts to pursue him. That's why he looked at David and said, man after my own heart. Because David was willing to go into those quiet places, to go into the dark room and say, Lord, mold me and shape me. Even after he was anointed king, he didn't become king for literally 15 or 16 years after that. Like I could imagine after like a guy come and douse me in oil and be like, you're gonna be president. I'd be like, yeah, walking up to the White House the next day. <laughs> like got a word from heaven. But no, there's work that needs to be done. And God has got a call and a mandate and each and every one of us are anointed. There are some people in this room, you are anointed to be a pastor. You're anointed to be an evangelist. You're anointed to be a prophet. You're anointed to be an apostle. Well, if there's one thing that all of us have been anointed to be and that's sons and daughters and lovers of God. So in this time, I just wanna ask if we could just bow our heads. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. Nobody looking around. If you've been to church before, you know how it goes. 
And I just, I want us to get vulnerable right now with Holy Spirit. And I just want us to come to that place of realizing, God, I need you. And for those of you that already know him, I want you to get even more vulnerable and be like, God, I need more of you. I need more of you. Lord, I've tried. Or maybe, or maybe you're here and you're like, God, my motives for seeking you have been totally wrong. I've sought you out of need and not out of want. I've sought you because I feel like I need to know you, not because I just want to know you. It's much more exciting to give something to someone because they want it, not because they need it. Because if you give people what they want, it destroys all their need. God's like, if you would just receive me and just want me, then you won't even think about the things you need because you realize that they're already all met. They're already all covered. And so right here, if anything that I've been talking about for the last 20 or so minutes has ministered to you or if it's spoken to you or if it's challenged you and you're sitting here in this room and you said, God, I need deeper intimacy. I need to know you more. I want to know you more. I want to know more of your heart. I want you to cut me deep. If you want more intimacy, if you want more of God, can you just put your hand in the air? If you want more. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Praise God, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray. And then after I pray, we're just gonna take a moment and we're just gonna get quiet just for a few seconds. It doesn't, it's not gonna be an eternity, so don't freak out. Um, but we're just gonna give God a moment just to speak to our heart, just to move in us and through us. But more than that, I feel like something's about to fall on you in this moment. So get ready, <laughs> get ready. So Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Lord, I thank you. Lord, that just as Paul had a radical life transformation and turned around and started chasing after you with everything that he was, Father, I pray that you would put that fire, you would put that boldness, you would put that desire for more on the inside of each and every one of us. God, that we would not listen to the lies of, of religiosity that says, well, hey, you know, this thing's a marathon, it's not a sprint. No, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would sprint after you with everything that we have and with everything that's been given to us. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you're breathing right now on each and every person in this place. God, you saw those hands that were raised. Lord, of people who are saying, God, I want more. God, we want more. And so, Father, I just pray for an outpouring of your spirit in this place, for an outpouring of your presence. God, that there would be a revelation of knowledge. Lord, that the fear of the Lord would be present in this place because it says in your word that where the fear of the Lord is, that is the beginning of wisdom. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, for your fire to fall on us right now. Lord, for your presence to fall on us right now. Healings are happening in Jesus' name. Manifestations of words of knowledge are happening. God, that you are depositing God-sized dreams on the inside of every single one of us. Lord, that that step we were afraid to take, God, we would take it for your namesake, knowing that you are calling us to deeper and greater things. So, Lord, I just ask, pour it out. Just pour it out. Pour it out on us, God. Now just receive it right now. Just receive it, receive it. Thanks so much for listening. 
If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Vision Church, vision for life.